0: Well, uh, I didn't introduce myself last time. My name is Danny, for those who don't know. I'm one of the pastors here at Kesset, and I'm gonna be sharing with you. This is my friend Jan, and she's going to be interpreting today for uh, all of our deaf family members. So I just wanna say hello to you guys and welcome. Uh, for those of you who don't know how to, uh, how to applaud uh, in deaf language, it's like this. So if you're really excited about something I say in the message, just just shout it out, right? So, uh, <laughs> and if you're not, you know, just quietly booty yourself, because Nobody else cares, so uh, (laughs) um, we are starting a brand new series today called From Now to Forever. And uh, the the idea behind the the whole next eight weeks is going to be kind of speaking to something that I've heard a few people say, and I think a lot of us are feeling, which is how different this holiday season will be maybe uh, of any other we've ever experienced because of what we all experienced during the last holiday season. I heard a lot of people say they felt like last year it was stolen, um, like last year they, they missed opportunities that they, that they could have had, and those kinds of different things. And so this year, they're really going to take advantage, and they're really going to enjoy the moment. And so I started thinking about that, and I, and I started kind of wrestling with this idea that, that holidays really are about that. They're about, about these moments that we all recognize are, are important. And so we get together with the family for Thanksgiving, And we have this special moment, or we get together Christmas morning or Christmas Eve, and we have this special moment. But if we're not careful, uh, we can live our whole life just around focusing around two or three or four moments a year when Scripture tells us that uh, we are to live our life a little different, and that is in the actual moment we're in. So that's what the the series is about. It's a series, I'll put it on the screen, um, about moments in time. And we're going to walk through that over the next few weeks and and then all the way through the end of the year. And uh, so I hope that you join us. I hope that you come and you're a part, but uh, I think it'll be a really special thing. I know it will be uh, for my family. Now every year, uh, during especially the holidays, uh, people at Kesed love to give me advice for how to survive it or how to maximize it. And every year they will say, someone somewhere will say eventually, make sure you stop and capture every moment. And I thought that is an interestingly common way to say that moments escape us, that, that if we don't really think about them, they, they get away. We say things like time is fleeting and, and make sure and, and pause and make sure and capture it. And I wonder if it's because of how rarely we actually do that. This is why I believe the holidays are such a special time of year because so many people are setting aside that time to do just that, to capture things. This may be also why watching someone dedicate their child to God feels so special, because we are all captured in the moment in the eyes of a child who's answering questions and and participating in something that to them is pretty wondrous. Uh, The big thing about children, you don't get to see it as much as I do, is they think this place up on stage is kind of magical and a little scary and way different than anything they've ever experienced. And so we're all part of that moment with them and I think it's a really special part. And of course, we're watching parents make a public decision in that moment to dedicate their child and and their parenting to God, which is kind of a big deal. And we're asked as as a congregation to stand in our seats and participate in that. That entire thing is one captured moment. And that's sort of what I want to launch out of today, because I believe we are all looking for that. Every single day of our life, we're looking for that. And I actually think that, that I can prove it. Uh, if I was to stand at the back door and ask you to give me the number of photos on each of your phones as you left today, I think that we would reach some incredible numbers. People just don't erase pictures anymore because I don't know why, but I'm one of those folks. Right now, on my phone, I have 10,597 pictures. And I think I'm a junior level to some of you. Some of you are like, "Huh, ah, disrespectful. <laughs> compared to how many pictures you have. And I don't erase them. I don't even know why. And it's not as if they're incredibly helpful or, or useful. As a matter of fact, I want to prove to you the moments I thought before I ever prepped this message, I went back over the last two or three weeks, and like, these are actual things I thought were important to take pictures of that I kept on my phone that I promise, other than the sermon, I'll probably never look at again. And yet... I want to erase them. So a couple pics. This is, this is my daughter Elena at coffee with a friend. I see Elena every single morning and I have coffee with her and she's my friend. Why was I like, that's a great picture. Save. I don't know. Next. This is a picture of my wife dressed up as Harry Potter for Halloween. This is a picture of a sinner, ladies and gentlemen, is what this is right here. When I went with her for Halloween, I went like this, and when people asked me what I was dressed with, I said, a Christian adult. That's what I'm, what is this? This is an actual wand from Harry Potter land that her parents bought her because they know how much she's into that series. This this also shows you can have a healthy marriage, even when you're on completely different spiritual spectrums. (laughs) I thought it was a cute picture, though, because I think she's cute, so I kept it. Next picture. This is a picture of my mother-in-law, Aaron's mom, Midge, who showed up to look at our new treadmill and then try to convince her husband to get one. And so she said, quick, take a picture and send it to him. Tell him how great it is. So I did. I thought the picture was cute, so I kept it. Next. This is a picture of my niece, Georgia. I gave her two ring pops. I said, smile. That's what she did. I then sent it to my brother and said, that's for all the stuff you did to my kids. I thought it was cute. This is a picture of Alyssa, a, a very good friend of mine that works here with me at Kestet, and we're waiting to get in a restaurant for a birthday party, and we got stuck, and we're telling other people that we were still stuck, and so we took this picture, and I kept it because I like her, so. This is a picture of my friend Emily trying virtual reality for the very first time. She did not know I was using this picture. I told her just a little while before I put it up, and she attended last service. She wasn't happy. Oh, well. She, hold on, put that picture back. Go back to that picture. She didn't know we were taking that picture, so my daughter-in-law and I took that picture while she was like, oh, I love the waterfalls. (laughs) Like, that's what's happening in that picture. That's what's happening. This is my friend Ryan, who's next. Ryan is a foodie, and when I asked Ryan if he enjoyed his food, if he didn't, it's, it's some frustration, but when he likes the food, folks, this is what he looks like, and I loved it, so I snapped a picture of it. This is a picture of my lovely wife asking me if we can eat beet leaves. I have no idea. So I texted a friend. Turns out you can. It's a kind of a thing. A lot of beet leaf eaters here in the house tonight? No? <laughs> no? Like four of you? Yeah, well, we should be eating more beet leaves, church, apparently. So uh, that's, that, that's what that picture is. Okay. This is a picture of my mama and her husband, Gary. Uh, They were helping us move. We moved recently, and I just thought they were super cute. Uh, By the way, Bernadine, as she's known around here, and you'll greet her, I'll tell people she's my mom, and every time they're like, oh, because you love her that way? And I'm like, no, because she gave birth to me. So she's really, she really is my mom, so. And then I think lastly, oh, second to last, this is a picture of all my children with all my godchildren at a dinner that we had together, and it's the first time we were all in the same space, and so I thought it was really special, so I took that picture. And then lastly, this is a picture of the most beautiful woman in the church tattling on me as I drove too fast down the highway, and she took this picture to tell a friend that I wasn't listening to her. But I thought it was a great pick, so I saved it. What am I going to do with these pictures other than use them as this sermon illustration? When am I going to go back and use them and why do I have them and so many more? I think the same reason you do is because I want to capture these moments. I want to remember them. I want to experience them. We are built to capture moments. We are built to experience these beautiful things. The Bible itself speaks to the importance of being aware of the precious moments, not just in like the room, but in our lives. And it relates a lot of us to the, uh, the fragility of our life. Moses prays and is quoted in Psalms ninety twelve. so teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Teach us to think about how many Christmases we have left. How many dinners with our kids do we have left? How many church services do we have left? And the truth is, you can average that out if you were to live the average length, but none of us really know if today is our last day. None of us really know if if we're, as Christians, going to be called home next week or later this afternoon. And so the Bible teaches us to pause and rest in that reflection in order for us to enjoy the precious time we have. King David aptly points out in Psalm 39, 4 and 5, O Lord, make me know my end and what is the measure of my days. Make me know it. Because he knows naturally we'll get distracted. So he's praying, God, make me know it. Let me know how fleeting I am. Behold, you have made my days a few hand breaths, and my lifetime is as nothing before you. Surely all mankind stands as a mere breath. You know the folks that have the hardest time with this are you young people in the room. Because you, you just look and you have so much dreaming and so much before you. And the, pro- the problem is, and it's a statement that I don't think is very fair, but is, but is often said, which is you know that, that, uh, that, that youth is sort of wasted on youth that they don't even realize the opportunities they have to, to explore and, and become people they want to because they're too busy trying to get to the next thing. And I think it's so important for the young people in the room to recognize that uh, there's a lot of life in front of you potentially, but don't miss the life that's happening around you right now. The Apostle James says it this way, What if your life? What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. I mean, so many people for generations after generations after generations have sat in rooms like this and heard sermons like this and read this verse and not realize the importance of living a a almost vanishing lifestyle, a lifestyle that's present with the grandkids, a lifestyle that's present with how they handle their finances, a lifestyle that's present with, with how they care for other people, a lifestyle that's present with how they celebrate the things around them. So many people have missed that opportunity. And I think, I think it would be incredible for our city, especially in this part of the world, to have Christians who recognize that all of us are living vanishing lifestyles and so we can live our lives in the now. Maybe this is very much so what it means to be a light in the darkness, as Scripture says. It's not just about the heat. It's a little about the brightness. It's a little about how often you can bring up to people, I don't know, but I'm here with you right now. It also makes you really, really Uh, empathetic when you sit with people who are hurting who don't know God, when you know that they're vanishing and you're vanishing and that you can talk with them in such a way that points them back to the one who created them in the first place. There's so much joy and peace in that. But you have to realize that about yourself because if you you and I get caught up in the, the suffering of the day, then we smell and look and feel and glow like everybody else. So these times that are a struggle, they're an opportunity for most of us to glow brighter, to be warmer, and to remind people that what we have right now is so, so important. The Bible also goes on to teach us that even when we are fully present and thoughtful, even if this really hits home and we're like, all right, I'm gonna be more present, I'm gonna live a kind of a vanishing lifestyle, we need to be thoughtful about how we spend our time. We need to have a bit of a, a, a metric for how we actually decide what is precious, where are the moments we should spend. So I'd like to offer this, that the determiner that would help us is the awareness that we are here for a purpose and that that should be the ultimate determiner through which we mark moments as precious. That we should recognize that, that the most precious moments are the, mo- the moments that we are doing the thing we're built to do. We are doing the thing we're called to do. We are in the situation at the time. We are, if we're grandparents, we're fully grandparents when we're in that moment. If we're parents, we're fully parents. If we're business owners, we're fully business owners. If we're, if we're ministering to someone hurting, we're fully ministering. We're not, we're not like, like, like being a business owner and kind of ministering and sort of being a grandparent. and like, I think we lose a lot of the power because we're not fully present in any one thing at one time. And I think that the Bible teaches us, and I'm gonna break this down for us, that we are actually most powerful and most appropriately using the life and the hours and the minutes and the breaths that God has given us when we are willing to be in the moments that God has orchestrated for us. Ephesians 5 says, look carefully then how you walk. This is an example. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of time because the days are evil. It has this connotation, this sense that within the world that's decaying, the way you spend your time actually could make a difference. Be careful how you walk as, as someone with wisdom because the world's evil. Well, what does wisdom matter with evil other than, well, I can avoid some of the pain? I think it has much more to do with walking and participating and being a part in transformational relationship with people and so inside that space we recognize oh i'm supposed to be in this person's life right now i didn't bump up against somebody who's caught up in pain i was actually pushed by the holy spirit up against somebody who's caught up in pain and so i'm gonna live in wisdom and i'm gonna recognize this world is decaying people keep trying to point out to me how bad things are in the world and i'm like man i'm pretty sure jesus came and did that a long time ago like, Jesus has been saying this for a while, and that's why he's like, but I'm stronger, but I'm the anchor, but I'm the cornerstone. Like, everything's related to a storm or wind or hurricane or fire, and Jesus continues to be, uh, the answer's me. And we're like, can you believe how crazy this world is? And I'm like, yeah, you should reach out to Jesus, the anchor of all humanity. And they're like, but the waves are huge. And I'm like, uh, and the wind is big, yeah. And all my foundational plans are cracking. Y- yes! And the things I invested in have gone to sand. Oh my God, you're preaching my own sermon! <laughs> like sometimes I just want to sit with people, record them, and then play it back. But they can look at my face because for some reason they can't hear themselves. The point is Jesus. But it matters how you use your time. And it matters that you see those incredible moments. This is what I believe we're supposed to do. C.S. Lewis understood this. He said, if you read history, you will find that the Christians who did the most for the present world were just those who thought most of the next. We have limited time here, but we live as if we have unlimited amount of time. I heard a quote someone said the other day, and they're like, isn't it amazing that everybody wants eternal life, but they actually don't know what to do with themselves for an hour on a Sunday rainy afternoon? what would you do with eternity if you can't figure out how to be present in the moment you have right now? That was really good. That wasn't even in my notes right there. That was, that was all extra. So, <laughs> no. Woo! Woo! Right? So... All right, Jesus gives us a real-time example of this principle in action. He gives us a real-time example. He's here on earth, we know that. He's here to proclaim a mission, we know that. He's, clear to, he's here to do all these big, powerful, loud things. That's the point of miracles, by the way. They were things to be written down to draw attention to Jesus, to, so people would, it would be undeniable that he was here to share the message of himself. But it says that one time Jesus was on his way to do such a thing. I'm gonna be in Mark chapter five if you have a Bible. I'll put verses on the screen. It says, Jesus is out doing his thing, and when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, my little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And then it says this phrase that's so powerful, and he went with him. I think sometimes as Christians, we sit in services and we hear these grand movements of God, these grand movements of, uh, that he's doing in creation, and we feel like the concerns we have just don't really measure up to the movement that Jesus is doing, and so we never really ask him for the help. Not really. We mention it in passing, but we don't show up and put ourselves on the ground before him and say, God, I want you to be where I am. And we worry less about how busy God is or less about how small maybe our problem is. This one's obviously significant, but the principle, I think, translate to the idea that this man didn't care about the mission of God as in terms of being more important than his child and her sickness. And so he went to him, and he put himself on the ground, and it says Jesus went with him. Jesus wants to go with you into your story. And it doesn't matter about building campaigns or, or movements or, 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 or anything else that's happening in the kingdom. Jesus wants to go in you, with you into your story, but you have to be willing to actually pause and ask him. He wants to live in that moment with you especially these life and death level moments like this one. Moments that we want Jesus to feel what we feel and be where we want him. Jesus knows that, and I think it's incredible. But as I said, the awareness that we are here for a purpose should be the ultimate determiner through which we mark moments as precious, and Jesus himself is a part of that that metric. He's here for his mission, But a man comes, says, my daughter's dying. Jesus looks at his mission, looks at his disciples, looks at the crowd, looks at his schedule for the day and says, I'm going with him. He sees the moment. He seizes it, captures it, and goes with him. And he's not confused in spite of that about his purpose along the way because something in the midst of this detour actually pauses him, even in the midst of his detour, and changes even this scenario further. This is an important thing to recognize that your current precious moment and Jesus' precious moment may not always be in perfect sync. Even when Jesus and the the movement of the earth pauses, it feels like so God is going to go with you into your space, it doesn't mean it's going to unfold how you want. When Jairus saw that Jesus said he committed, I know he thought instantly, This is incredible. I can't even believe it. The Messiah is coming to my house. My daughter's going to live. And Jesus is going, and the crowd's like, oh, are we going to witness something? This is totally going to mess up the calendar. And whoever was in charge of the calendar was like, I can't believe that. Like, the worst person in the world to hold a calendar for would be Jesus, wouldn't it? Like, nothing, like, what are you going to do? Like, we have a 3 o'clock, and he's like, I have a child to heal. Like, I mean, everything about this afternoon is going sideways. And then suddenly it stops. Verse 24. if i touch even his garments i will be made well and immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease jesus is on his way to do something jarius shows up says will you heal my daughter jesus goes i'll do it the crowd gets excited they're all on their way to do now something else this woman says you know what i'm in walks up pushes through the crowd touches his his garment receives healing, disappears back into the crowd, and Jesus, on his way to heal a child, goes, time out. What? Like, this is drama on top of drama. I mean, if you were in the crowd, you'd be like, what? Doesn't he know there's time? Doesn't he know this daughter's sick? And Jesus is like, hold on, the crowd's pushing around. And Jesus just pauses. It's it's so dramatic. And Jesus, perceiving in himself himself, that power had gone out from him immediately turned about in the crowd. And he asked this, this question loudly, who touched my garments? Like everybody's been touching your garments, bro. Everybody. There's hundreds of people here in the street with you. And he's like, who who touched my garments? What, what's going on? And you know, Jairus is over in the corner like, why do we care about who's touching your garments? And the disciples are like, just go, just go. And the calendar guy is like, well, doesn't even matter now right? (laughs) And Jesus is just in this space, and he won't let it go. Perceiving in himself the power had gone out from him, immediately he turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? And his disciples actually had the gall to say to him, "Uh, you see the crowd pressing around you? And yet you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. It's as if he doesn't even answer. He's like, and he's just staring into the crowd. This, I, love, I love this. I, love, I just love scripture when we slow down and let it speak for itself. Jesus doesn't even address their question. He just stares into the crowd and he's waiting for this woman to realize he already knows who she is, but he's not gonna call her out because sometimes when you receive healing, whether it's relational, emotional, financial, sometimes it's you receiving the healing and, and this doesn't happen enough, sometimes you need to give credit to God for that healing and not think you're just figured it out. So he waits in the crowd looking around for somebody he already knows is there. It's like he's looking at that person. He's like, I wonder who touched me. <laughs> I wonder who touched me. <laughs> and finally, she's like, this is, this is really important. Finally, she's like, it's me. She just, she just owns the space, but not in a like loud way. I mean, she stole the power in a sense. She just owns the space. I believe so many people think you have to come to Jesus like the Ricola guy, like up on the mountain with the and like, I am God, and and you're like, you're so nervous to proclaim that you believe in Jesus because you're not built that way when really I believe most of the time when people meet Jesus, it's just this. And you think you're in a big crowd. Like right now, you probably think you're in a big giant room and I can't see you well, and you're kind of right. Did you know the Holy Spirit can fit in that tiny space between you and the person next to you? and he is real close. <laughs> you could feel his presence as he's like, who touched my garment? And, and you've gotta decide whether you're gonna respond or you're just gonna try to disappear back into the crowd. This is, this is walking with God, this is meeting Jesus kind of stuff. This woman decides she's not gonna disappear into the crowd. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. Notice she falls down before him just like Jarius fell down before him. Same position, same, God, I just I need help that I can't control. So now what you have is a person who asked Jesus for help being paused by another person asking Jesus for help. And you've got Jarius sitting there, by the way, never, never makes a comment about Jesus, 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 as any dad would do, by the way. Did you see the dad up here with the two little girls? Did you see like, these are my babies. Can you imagine being Jairus sitting in the crowd while Jesus is talking to this woman? And it says, and I think it's important, the text says that she shared her whole story, her whole truth, that she wasn't like, Jesus, I was bleeding and now I'm not. Jesus is like, awesome. Because Jesus is fully in the moment. I think Jesus bent down and he was like, what is going on? And she's like, so 12 years ago, I woke up and I had a little blood. And you know, Jerry's is like, no way. And she's like, so then I went to my family. Cause here's the thing you need to know about this woman. The important thing about this woman is that she wasn't just after physical healing. She was also after the inclusion back to the family that she was alienated from due to the culturally unclean perspective of blood. She was completely exiled from life. So she wasn't just touching Jesus to be restored to her body. She was touching Jesus to be restored to the entire vision of who she thought she was. She was missing every holiday, every festival, every birth of her grandchildren, everything. And she told Jesus all of it. And he's like, and then what? And then what? You're kidding me. And you know the crowd's like, oh, oh, oh you're healed. Move on. but it doesn't say jarius did that it says instead that he just watched and he waited he just was there and she shared her whole story the whole truth and then he said to her however long that was 15 20 25 45 minutes he said to her daughter your faith has made you well go in peace and be healed of your disease and this is the important thing to realize and that is that jesus moments always result in some sort of healing and wholeness it's not always physical But you spend time with Jesus. You introduce yourself to that space between you and your neighbor that the Holy Spirit sits. You get to spend time with somebody who can literally detangle the things from your life that keep you from who you're supposed to be and restore you to an entirely new existence. It's unbelievable. And yet it's happening right alongside the attention, the, the, within the view of a dad whose daughter's dying. This is so much often how Jesus works where we're watching him work and weave and do and over here something else completely different is happening and yet this man waits and he waits and he waits And he waits, and then it says, Mark 5, 35, while he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house someone who said, your daughter is dead, why trouble the teacher any further? And everyone who came with Jairus would have fallen to the ground, and Jairus would have been filled with warm tears that ran down his face, and he would have thought, I was so close. But now, all is lost. And there would have been weeping and sadness and grieving. And based on how Jesus handles those sorts of things, I think he would have created space for that. I don't think he would have interrupted that. I think the time he gave the woman, he would have given them to feel the loss of this precious child. And it could have been five minutes, ten minutes, however long it takes for a father to take back control of finding out his daughter is gone. That's how long Jesus would have waited in this space with this man. But then eventually, overhearing it, he finally says to the ruler of the synagogue, Jairus, do not fear; only believe. I believe that Jesus could see that this man was still with him, still imploring him to come and be God, to still asking him to come and create a different kind of moment than even he expected. Mark 5 says, and he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. This would have been the people in the house at the time who were waiting for Jesus to show up with his miracle, but that he was too late to actually have. And when he entered it, he said to them, why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And then it says they laughed at him. It's just an incredible response from a grieving world. So we should be less surprised by the way when the world experiences great death, whether it's death of dreams or death of hope or death of morality, and then we show up and are like, hey, here's the words of Jesus, and then they mock us or laugh at us. This is is how it works. This is how it's done. When you show up to a grieving world and you're like, Jesus is the reason. They're gonna belittle you, mock you, try to tear you apart. Just be prepared. Just know. This is what Jesus receives. This is what we'll receive. And they laughed at him, but he put them all outside and he took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. He brought with him into the moment those who were willing to believe. Taking her, the little girl, by the hand, he said to her, Talitha Kumai, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age, and they were immediately overcome with amazement and celebration and screaming and yelling. We just say like, and they were happy. That's how we read the Bible. And they were amazed. Whoa, she's back alive. Hey, thanks, Jesus. Appreciate it. Mm, 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 mm." It's ridiculous. There would have been people falling over themselves because their daughter was returned. See, I think Jesus was never after the earlier moment of healing the father wanted. He was after this moment right here, which is a resurrection moment. He was after the complete restoration of not just this woman, but this little girl, but also the woman who had been, you know, uh, a... excommunicated earlier, of this family, of all the people who mocked him, of the disciples who doubted that he knew how to keep a schedule. All the people that he was ruffling along the way, this is what he was bringing them to, this resurrection moment, because it's always what God is after in your life and mine. You want healing of your finances. You want healing of your body. You want healing of your family. I want healing of all those things too, but Jesus wants healing of my resurrected spirit. He wants me to be in relationship. He wants me to be connected. He wants my story to be affected deeply, deeply, Tainted completely with his presence so that there's not a dinner party I can have for the rest of my life, just like these, this whole group of people that the story of Christ isn't lifted high and at the center. He wants you to know what it feels like to have your whole entire world reborn. It's his word. To be rebirthed, which means sometimes the things you hold dear in your life have to fall apart sometimes like that woman your reputation has to fall apart sometimes the thing you hold most dear has to fall apart sometimes I deal with a lot of folks right now I don't know why Kesed is like a nucleus for people who don't like churches but it makes my meetings uncomfortable and yet what's so beautiful about it is sometimes I'm like yeah all that stuff is really dysfunctional about church yeah that's true church does hurt Yeah, that's true. People fail. Yeah, that's true. Pastors aren't really what they appear to be on stage. I've said it before. I'll say it again. This is the very best version of me that has ever existed. On stage, primed, under the lights, speaking to you. This is not my whole life. I I have angst. I have anxiety. I I wrestle with all the same things we all do. And what's so important about that is to realize that I want the same thing you want, which is Jesus, just to make it all better. But what Jesus wants in my life is the same thing he wants in your life, which is full reliance on him. And that ain't going to happen unless the stuff Danny loves dies. It's not going to happen. I'm going to put myself at the center of my own world every single time. Unless I ask for God to replace this heart of stone with a heart of flesh. And the bummer about hearts of flesh is they can be broken, pierced, and bled out. And yet he just keeps replacing it. I'm like, can we just do a little a little stone? Maybe like around this area. And he's like, actually, that's going to be the most fleshy area. Thanks for pointing that out. And I'm like, <laughs> For some people, it seems like God has stopped somewhere back there in the middle of your moment. You're on your way to accomplish this thing. And he's like, oh, hold on. I'm going to deal with this other thing over here. For others, you're called to watch and wait for him to bring to the moment all that he's been designing all along. Or maybe he's waiting for you to implore him to come and be God. Maybe he's waiting for you to to, to recognize that you've built castles and, and as the Bible says, big old barns around stuff that you have more faith in than you do in him. Jesus didn't spend his time on earth healing every person that he came across. These were kind of one-offs. He didn't raise every single person from the dead that asked him, and trust me, there would have been thousands of requests. Instead, he spent his time following his father's will for how he should live his life, which eventually led him to perhaps the greatest moment to have ever been, and that was when he gave his life on a cross for you and I. Jesus wanted what God wanted for his life. And he didn't avoid the pain, and he didn't avoid the cost, and he didn't avoid the the hard conversations. He didn't even avoid the whips and the nails and the torture and the humiliation. He wanted whatever God had for his life that brought the most life to others. My question is, are we going to be a church full of people who live life's a life of missed moments, or will we live a life investing in the ways and will of the Lord, savoring every single God-given moment in time, the kind of moments that last from now to forever? That's what this world's trying to find. And that's what you have in droves, but you've got to decide and I've got to decide to set down the best version of you and instead exchange the version of you that it sits on its knees before God, like the father, like the woman, and says, I have no more to offer except for a request. Lord, come in my heart, be in my story, transform my life. Make me aware of all the things that are unfolding that you see that I don't. And constantly, constantly, constantly remind me of the cost you paid and make me grateful to be an example of that to the rest of this world. We are the hands and feet of Christ. We are the light that is to live in the darkness. And we in this right here have such opportunity to pass that on to our children, to our neighbors, to our coworkers, to our children, children's children. But it has to start with you. It has to start with me. So what I wanna do is I wanna create a moment for you. I'm gonna have the worship team come out. And uh, I say things often like I wanna pour this song over you, that's not what I wanna to do today. I say things like I want you to reflect on what I taught about, not what I wanna to do today. Instead, what I want you to do is just be fully in the moment where you are. Now if that means you're anxious, if that means you're frustrated, if that means you're, uh, you're, you're, you're wrestling, if that means you're disappointed, I don't know where in this story and what character you related to. Maybe you feel a little like the girl who passed away and you just need to have an entirely resurrected life. Maybe you're the woman who hemorrhaged and you feel completely cut out from the life you were supposed to live and you need to find your way through the crowd to touch the hem. Maybe you're Jairus and you're, you're powerful and you're prestigious and you actually can do whatever you want. So for you to actually imagine yourself on your knees before Christ, asking him for anything is... Maybe you're Jairus, and you're on your way to accomplish this great thing with God, but he paused somewhere back there, and you need help waiting and watching. Maybe you're one of the crowd who's mocking Jesus, and you're here today because you got invited by a friend, and you're not really into this whole God thing. That's fine. I'd love for you to just sit for three or four minutes and tell this God you don't believe in all about it. Maybe you don't know who you are (laughs) at all. And maybe that's where you need to spend the next three or four minutes. I believe in a God and a Holy Spirit that is articulate and acute. He can meet you right where you are without me at all. But my ask is that you're willing to at least sit with open hands and open heart and ask him what it is he wants to show you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, in a space like this, there's there's just so many different experiences happening right now. There are people grieving. There are people celebrating. There are people hurting. There are people happy. Lord, I ask that in a room like this, that you would do what you do and take this limited message and make it whatever it's supposed to be. May it peel away some of the stone that's covering the hearts. May young people suddenly have eyes full of wisdom to change the choices they're making that are hurting their futures. May older people suddenly have eyes full of, of uh, youthfulness, knowing that their job is not done in the kingdom and that there is time yet for you to create incredible moments for them. May we not just feel like we're part of a crowd, Lord. May we sit within this space, fully present as we are, men and women, boys and girls, willing to receive from their creator whatever it is he wants to share. We thank you for your spirit. We thank you for all that you do. In Jesus' name, amen.